Good morning. Awesome day. So we're going to talk about some, some good stuff here. Keys for promotion and, uh, and being entrusted with a little. We're going to talk about things that hinder promotion. Uh, and the promotion isn't from men, really. We're talking about promotion from the Lord. Um, uh, hindering promotion or advancement or growth or multiplication. Uh, these types of things will, there's some things here we're going to talk about that hinder it. And we're going to talk some things about some things that enhance it, okay? Um, that actually help you grow, okay? But then also talk about some things that do not help you grow. So we're going to start out with a negative first, because I want to end on a, I want to end on a good note. So we'll start with the the hard scriptures first, and then we'll end with the nice scriptures last. Um, so I'm going to take everybody to a passage that they probably haven't read or they haven't heard very much in in church. We're going to go to uh, Numbers chapter 11. And I gotta correct something because I think I've preached before um, about a story in the Bible about this story in the Bible, and I think I, I actually miss miss uh, I misstepped on it. I, it's about the quail that comes, and uh, I, I think in the past I've taught that the quail there was so much quail that it um, that it spoiled, and that's not what happened. It's slightly different. Okay, so uh, we're gonna basically read the story today. And, and go through it. So, <clears throat> Numbers 11, verse 18 through 23 says, that's where we're at, Numbers 11, verse 18. Before we keep going, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. And we thank you, Father, for uh, what you have for us. And we thank you, Lord, that these are keys um, for us to fix in our heart, things for us to overcome in our hearts. And Lord, that if we can grasp this, Father, we will, we will explode in promotion and will explode in in growth. And so thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for, for softening up our hearts and allowing us to be able to receive and really grow and learn from these passages in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So Numbers 11, verse 18 through 23, it says, And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. So we're going to stop right there. Number one, it is, we've got to stop. Uh, this is really dangerous. First of all, it's not a problem to share with God your needs or even your desires or your wants. But the problem is when we grumble in our hearts and complain and we wish that we were, well, why am I even following God? Or why am I even serving God? Or why am I even, see, see what happens is we become, uh, we create an idol in us, which is our belly, our desires, our cravings, our, uh, we have what we, we call, the, the scripture later on says the craving. Your cravings will kill you. Your cravings will kill you. The things that you're wanting, that you're actually putting in place of God, it's almost like you were following God just so you could get this craving. And then if you don't get this craving, then you say, I'm going to stop following God because he didn't give me my craving. See, there's a difference between having a craving and submitting to the Lord. Yeah. Okay. And saying, Father, I want to, I want to follow you no matter what, you know, whether I have or I have not. When, when you start following God, it's much like marriage. It's till death to his part in sickness and in health, you know, in for richer or for poorer. It doesn't matter where I am, what circumstance I'm in. I will always follow the Lord because I'm devoted to Him. Because I love Him, you know. And He loves me. And He rescued me. You see, the thing is, He already did enough. When He took the people out of Egypt, that was enough. But now they're wanting to go back to Egypt. 
because they don't have meat. For it was better for us in Egypt. They were longing for their abusive husband. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being married, uh, getting married, or a woman getting married to a man, and the whole time they're married, she's like, it was better for me with Johnny. And she kept on comparing you to her previous relationship. You see? When the truth was, your previous relationship was abusive. And this man saved you from it. Now, he may not have given you the nicest home or the nicest car or the nicest delicacies. You know? They were in Egypt with this abusive husband. They had all the riches in the world. You see? Egypt was rich. They had melons and cucumbers and, <laughs> you know? They had nice stuff. And so when they were, even though they were slaves, they were, and they were being abused, they had some of these nice things. So when they went, when God rescued them from being in slavery, they came out of slavery and didn't have all the nice stuff and they started to complain. They went into the wilderness, which was, um, which is the place that everybody goes into before they are promoted. Everybody, every time you, every time it's time for you to go to the next level, you will always go to a wilderness. And I don't know why. It's just the way it is. I really don't understand why. Um, I just know it's the truth. Um, when Jesus got baptized in the river, before he started his ministry, that was his anointing to be the Christ. Okay? And then after that anointing to be the Christ, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Okay? And he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, eating no food or water. And there he was tempted. But he overcame the trial. He came out and was and started his miraculous ministry. And in the, one of the Gospels it says he came back in power of the Holy Spirit. Because he went into the wilderness and he came back out successful. It's good stuff. Moses, before he became the uh, servant of Israel, uh, before he became the, the, the leader of all of Israel, went into the wilderness for 40 years good stuff when the 40 years was over he saw the burning bush see he went to go he got married he killed somebody in, in 40 after his, in his 40th year he killed somebody ran for his life went into the into the net into the desert into the Midian night desert met Jethro who was a high priest so I believe he started learning from about God in that wilderness during that wilderness experience after 40 years he went back and became the prophet of Israel okay then he took the people out from their slavery, was taking them into the promised land, and they went into the wilderness. And it should have only been for a couple days. But they began to grumble. Okay? And so what happened was in their grumbling, they were uh, ended up being cursed. They couldn't enter the promised land because of their grumbling. So, this is just a matter of fact. Grumbling causes... Or stops the blessing. Okay? Grumbling stops your blessing. Thankfulness speeds it along. Yeah. But you can't have thankfulness without patience and endurance. These three right here are all keys to love. That's good. If you really love God, you'll be thankful. If you really love God, you'll be patient. If you really love God, you'll have endurance. <clears throat> God's love is never in question. It's only our love that's in question. He already did enough. He already paid the price. He paid the heaviest price for us, died on the cross, to make us righteous before him. He sacrificed the highest price for us. His question, has, his love has already been demonstrated. 
Now the only person whose love is in question is now mine. You see, God has already demonstrated his love toward the Egyptians by saving them from their abusive husband, you know, bringing them into the promised land. But they grumbled and complained, which was unbelief. Okay, the only way you can get God to operate in your life is by faith. So if we have unbelief, we actually stop what's happening. Unbelief literally stops the blessing. Grumbling and complaining is a profession of your unbelief. When you grumble and complain, in your heart you question the integrity of the leader. See? When we're grumbling and complaining, this is all in our hearts. It's all in the heart, man. And it will eventually come out of the mouth. But we grumble and complain first in our heart. When we grumble and complain, we actually begin to question the integrity of the leader or of God. Okay? This is why they grumbled and complained against Moses. And, they, and God said, you're making a mistake grumbling against my servant Moses. You know? It's interesting stuff. Okay? So let's, let's look what happened. Uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 18. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? So they're grumbling and complaining. And because they're, it wasn't a matter of petition. This wasn't them asking God, God, uh, we would, we're going to ask you for meat. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness and your kindness. That's not what they, how they said it. What they said was, we don't have meat. You should have left us in Egypt. You see? It was totally a backwards. It was not a curious, a curious question. It wasn't a it wasn't a questioning in the sense of I want to learn more about God. It was a questioning in the integrity of God. They thought it was for they thought it was was for them because they already thought it they thought it was a joyride, basically. Right. So Well yeah. Well here's the thing. God is, is more interested in loyalty. Okay. He cares more about our relationship with him more than he cares about any blessings. He loves us, so he did what was necessary to save us, and then if we love him, we'll do what's necessary to follow him. See, when it comes to following Christ, it's a matter of, why do I sacrifice? I'm not sacrificing just to kill me, just so that I'll be in pain. I'm sacrificing because he already sacrificed. See? Yeah. He already sacrificed, but what, why do people sacrifice? Sacrifice is a sign of love. If someone's, you know, shooting up a building, and my children are there, I'm going to cover my children up with my body, you know? And I'll sacrifice my life for my children because I love them. Sacrifice is rooted in love. Love will always lead to sacrifice. See? So, God loved us and it led to sacrifice. All right? He is not asking us to suffer just for the sake of suffering. He's asking us to love him. Which means when we go living in this dark world, we will suffer. Scripture is very clear about that. We live in a dark world. He's not taking us out of the world yet. He's leaving us here for a purpose. Why? Because love sacrifices. And if I love God, I'm going to love people. And I'm not going to want to leave this world. I want to stay here for the people. Which means I may have to sacrifice. See? I might have to go through a lot of tough stuff. Just so that I can... Not, not, not to prove my love. If I love, my love will be proved. Yeah. See, we're not, it's not like we're. It's not like he's testing us to see if we do love him. If we love him, we will sacrifice. You see, it's a matter of living from that love, not trying to get to proving that I'm righteous or proving that I'm in love with God. 
See? We're not doing the works to become loving. We're not doing the works to become righteous. I am righteous. Therefore, the works come. I do love. Therefore, the sacrifice will come. For the love, for the, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. The, Lord, the word says that God demonstrated his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, sacrifice is a demonstration of the love that already exists. See? Sacrifice is a demonstration of the love that's already there. So, God is not trying to get us to earn our place with him. He just wants us to love him unconditionally. Just like he loves us unconditionally. No matter, even if I sinned, check this out. We, we want God to love us unconditionally, but we don't want to love God unconditionally. When, when all the hell is breaking loose in our life and we don't understand, next thing you know, we want to stop loving God because God's not delivering. Mm. See? Now, that's a, that's a twisted understanding, I think, of, the, of, of how God works, but it doesn't change the fact that we have become conditional in our love. Because things didn't happen the way we wanted them to, now we're going to complain and we're going to stop loving God and we're going to stop serving God and we don't want to sacrifice anymore for God. You see? That's an unconditional love. Yet we want God to love us unconditionally even though we have literally sinned against God. Even though God's never done anything to us and we might have been deceived in our brain, okay, that we think he's sinning against us, right? Because he could have snapped his fingers and changed things, right? So automatically we attribute God to sin. See how bad that is? Whew! When things don't happen the way we want them, we immediately attribute it to God's fault. We decide we're not going to love him anymore because, or we're not going to serve him anymore because if God was good, why would he allow that to happen? Yet we want God to love us unconditionally when we deliberately sin. We were literally, you see how it's a double, it's a double standard? If we want God to love us, if we believe God loves us unconditionally, whether we serve him or not, right? Because he does. He does love us. That's why he sinned. I mean, that's why he died. For our sins. God demonstrated his love toward us that though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in our sin, while we were enemies with God, God still demonstrated his love for us and died for us anyway. Unconditional love. So it's fair in a relationship like that, if God loves us unconditionally, for us to love God unconditionally. Even Now, I'm not saying it's a perfect understanding of God to say that he's doing those things to us. Okay? I'm not saying that's a perfect understanding. I'm saying, what if you did? What if, what if that theology was correct? Would you still not love God unconditionally? Like he loves you unconditionally? It's a challenge. But now that we know, see the thing is, um, it's not even a matter of whether God's doing those things or not. It's a matter of whether or not we've questioned his integrity. See, God is good. God is just. God never does anything that's not just and is not good. Okay. Because he is sinless, he is the only one who can judge sin, right? So, we have to watch God and still love him all the time. Just like he loves us all the time, you know? It's crazy. It's good stuff. But, anyway, so now back on to the good theology. We know that God isn't um, a, an unjust God. We know that he's a good God. And that if he does anything, it, does, it never violates his word. Okay? So we are going to read something here that kind of sounds dangerous, according to some of our theologies that we've built. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to explain it and, and help us understand why it happened the way it happened. Um, but the point is, man, there's something that happens with grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining is a heart of unbelief. 
when we have an unbelief in God's... Check this out. You want to see something crazy? Unbelief is belief. But it's belief in the negative. It's belief that evil is going to come to you. The scriptures, Jesus says, be it according to your faith. Right? Be it according to your faith. So, isn't this interesting? Just think about this for a minute. Righteousness comes by faith. Knowing that God has done enough to make me righteous. But if I don't believe that I am righteousness, if I don't believe that I have righteousness, if I don't believe that it belongs to me, then guess what does belong to me? The consequence of sin. As if I wasn't righteous, right? You see what I'm saying? So if I don't, watch this, if I don't believe that, Jesus, that, I, that God has done enough to make me righteous in Jesus, if I don't believe that, then I remain in my unrighteous state. Do you see? So what comes my way is just punishment for unrighteousness. Because that's what I believe. Be it according to your faith. You see what I'm saying? If I believe that I deserve it, then what's going to come to you? The thing that you believe. You see? If I believe that I've been given the blessing by God, then what's going to come to me is the thing that comes from God, is the good blessing. But if I believe that I'm not going to get it, if I believe that I'm just going to get judgment, well, then that's what's going to happen. You see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? That's how powerful your faith is. Unbelief is actually belief in the judgment of God. It's belief in it's belief in the negative. Does that make sense? All right. So these people, when they started grumbling and complaining, they said some. They said things like, "Is it so that we could die here in the desert that you delivered us from Egypt?" So what did they believe? They believed that they were going to die in the desert. So what happened? They died in the desert. If they had believed that God. If they had believed the truth that God didn't want them to die in the desert, then they wouldn't have died in the desert. <laughs> you see? Their faith pulled something down because they looked with their eyes and they did not believe the word of the Lord, which was, I will rescue you out of this land and I will bring you into the promised land. Because they did not believe that. Because they chose to believe in their own understanding. Because they chose to believe in their own Mind, what they saw with their eyes. Did God bring us out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? They believed that they were going to die in the wilderness. Therefore, they died in the wilderness. It's powerful stuff. If they believed the, the word of God, which was the truth. See, they believed a lie. And the lie became reality for them. You see? You, when, you, when you put your faith on something, you actually link up to it. You connect with it. All right? So whatever you put your faith in, you're connecting to. So if you put your faith in the God of the living and, and that he's going to deliver you, then you're going to be linked up to the living and you'll live. But if you believe that, that God's just judging you, then you're going to link up to that judgment. It's powerful stuff. It's a powerful way to think about it. It makes a lot of sense when you realize that it's according to your faith. All right, so if grumbling, grumbling and complaining is a profession of your faith, I don't believe that God's going to deliver me. You're not delivered. Mm. See? It's according to your faith. I believe God is going to deliver me. Be it according to your faith. Every person in that scripture that did not believe that God was going to, to deliver them never saw the deliverance of the Lord. Every person in that passage that did believe God was going to deliver them overcame the 40 years and all the plagues and all the 
the attacks. They overcame all of them and entered into the promised land and took their land. This is Caleb. Look at this. This is crazy. Wow. Praise God. All right. So we're going to keep on reading. Let's keep on reading. Uh, we just, I don't know if we're going to ever leave numbers. This is too good. Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. Watch this. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. <laughs> because... Is that, is that what the Lord said? Yeah, as Moses was telling the Lord. Therefore, the Lord... Yeah. Well, Moses was telling him, but... Well, and say to the people, so the Lord told Moses to tell him, okay? You shall, so, so until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord. God did not reject his people. They rejected the Lord. This is so powerful. This is what happens when we reject the Lord, okay? It's pride. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? You rejected the Lord when you wanted to go back. But Moses said, The people among who I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat, that they may eat a whole month. They <laughs> eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? <laughs> now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. Verse 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side. Holy cow. Around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. Uh, 18. It was, it was like two feet thick for a day's journey. Above the ground. And the people arose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 omers, which is uh, 220 liters. So they packed a lot of meat. A lot of meat. And they spread them out before themselves all around the camp. Watch this. While the meat, look at this. They were, what were they loving? They were not, they were not, they were not serving the Lord. They were serving themselves. They were serving the belly. The God of their belly. Serving the God of their belly. This is why Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, or you will hate one and despise the other. Yeah. Is that, is that what that verse is talking about? Yes. I'll get to that in here in a minute. Okay. Uh, While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because they buried there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hetava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. All right, so that's a hard passage to read. But you have to keep in mind, they were not submitting to the Lord. They did not have faith in God. They were questioning his integrity, and they rejected the Lord, the scripture says. So they did not have the blessing. See, the thing is, the scripture talks about how uh, if you obey my commandments, and you, okay, and you do what I tell you, then you'll have the blessing. So what they did was, according to their custom, according to their law, according to their agreement with God, they broke their agreement with God when they rejected him. At that point, they no longer had this blessing. In fact, they inherited a curse. But they already knew this beforehand. They knew this back in Exodus. All right? So they were, they were intent, they already knew with the knowledge of, they understood. Okay? 
they understood that if they broke this commandment, that this would come upon them. So um, this is why, so a lot of people look at this and say, well, how could God do that? Well, he only kept his word. He's not a liar. You see? So at this point, God is actually, how could he not do it? You see? When he said, do this and that, but you don't do it, how could he not do it? The thing is, the Lord is not a liar. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And if that's good and bad, you see? And so these people, they didn't trust the word of the Lord, even for the curse. They didn't. They, if, the God didn't tr if they didn't trust God for the blessing, then they obviously didn't under trust God for the curse, you see? Anyway, it's interesting. All right, so we are at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 through 34. All right, so... We're talking about, well, the reason why I explained that story there was because uh, you have to understand that grumbling and complaining is actually a profession of your unbelief, and it is according to your faith that you'll receive, okay? Also, it's a matter of devotion to the Lord, whether we love Him or not. Uh, God, we're not trying to earn God's love. It's true. If we love Him, we'll do what we need to to follow Him. He loved us, so He did what was necessary to follow us. What? Yes, I'm Matthew 6, chapter 24. Now we're in the New Testament. This is the New Covenant. You know, the curses um, in Christ are exempt in Christ. But once again, if you don't receive Christ, do you receive exemption from the curse? You see? You have to have faith in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, for the curses to not apply in your life. It's very interesting. You know, the, because of sin. You see what I'm saying? Sin is already there. And so the scripture says it's not that we God sent us to hell because we reject his son. We're already on the route to hell, and Jesus is the way out, you see? So it's the same with our lives. We already live in a curse, but Jesus is the removal of curse. That's the good news. See, everybody wants to say, well, why would God curse in, this in the first place? You have to understand that cursing is because of sin. It's justice for us to get, pen get, to get the due penalty for our sin. If we don't believe that we deserve that, then we're prideful. It's when you realize, man, I do deserve to die for my sin. That's when God can give you grace. But if I think I don't deserve to die because of my sin, you see? But see, Jesus died for us. That's the good news. When we receive Christ, we inherit the promise. It's awesome. Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the goodness of God. Jesus is all of God's goodness wrapped up into one person. Though you were a sinner, even though you deserve to die, even though you deserve the punishment, Jesus came to remove that curse from you. That's how awesome God loves us. Even though we deserve to die and be punished for our sin, Jesus died for us so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law. It's awesome. It's good stuff. So that's the goodness of that's the goodness of God. When people start questioning the integrity of God, whether God's good or not, it's because they don't under, it's because they refuse to look at their own sin. People don't people want to judge God, but they don't want to judge themselves lest at all be judged by a perfect God. They, so what do they do? They say, well, I, won't be, I, won't, I don't want to be judged by God. God's not perfect. Look what he did. So you see? So they literally point the blame. You think that's really going to work on the day of judgment? <laughs> but that's what we do. We, this, a lot of the atheists and agnostics, they get to this point because they, they, they want to judge God for what he did instead of subjecting themselves to judgment. When they don't realize that he's the author of all life. He's the creator of all things. He's the one who determines right and wrong. And if anything happened in the Old Testament, 
for our judgment's sake. It's because of sin. If you study it out, you'll realize God never did anything out of a temper tantrum. God never did anything to, uh, out of judgment just because he lost, just because he had a, 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 a swing of his emotions. You see, God always did it out of judgment for righteousness sake because they sinned against God and they got their due. You see what I'm saying? They got what was deserved of them. What, uh, what about Jesus flipping the tables? That wasn't out of a... That was out of zealousness for the temple of God. Zealousness? Mm-hmm. So that wasn't like uh, in motion? That was righteous anger. That was, well, see, that's even different. I don't even like to say righteous anger. So you see, see, Jesus was walk, walking in righteousness. He was blameless. Okay? Only time that your anger is justified is if you're blameless. God's blameless. Scripture talks about how his wrath, wrath is being stored up for those who, who, are, who are rejecting the Lord. So anger, God's anger, is just. Okay? What is anger? You know, anger is a feeling you feel when you feel like justice hasn't been given. You get angry when you feel like something like 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 something like an internal rule has been broken. Right? This is every person has this gauge in their life. What it is, it roots from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. See, anger without wisdom is very bad. The, the, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they became understanding of right and wrong. Therefore, they became angry. This is why Cain became angry and killed his brother. He didn't feel that it was right that God accepted Abel's sacrifice instead of his sacrifice. See, the problem from the beginning was when we have the knowledge of good and evil, it's not knowledge of God's good and evil. It's knowledge of good and evil done to me. So if I feel like you've done me wrong, I'm going to become angry. And so then Cain, in his anger, because he lacked wisdom, which means he lacked God's understanding of right and wrong, he felt un he felt that it was wrong. He actually took out he actually took it out on Abel what he thought God did wrong. See, when there, anytime we start to, to blame God for something, then we're really in big trouble. We've fallen suit to the temptation of the devil. When we get angry, a lot of times it's not because it's justified anger. A lot of times we get angry because we feel like someone did something wrong to us. When the truth is, we don't have a clear understanding of right and wrong. We have right and wrong according to my standard. The scripture says that men do what's right in their own eyes. There is a way that seems right to a man, but it always leads to folly. It always leads to death. So we can't... So my point is, the scripture also says that man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. You have to remember that God's the one who defines righteousness, not men. God's the one who, who defines righteousness, not men. So when this is the problem with our culture. This is why we start to vote in things that say, well, this is culturally acceptable now. Well, what is culturally acceptable is not acceptable by God. Just look at Sodom and Gomorrah. God's understanding of righteousness is what we must pursue. This is why, oh, this, hey, can uh, y'all look up something for me, James? Can you look up a scripture for me? Uh, it was a prayer that David prayed um, saying, search my heart. Okay, what about you, uh, Cameron? Can you look up the scripture? Mm -hmm. David prayed a prayer that said, Search my heart, O God, to see if there's any error in my way. Search my heart. Search me, O God. He says the thing. Well, that was awesome. That was cool about David, man. David was a man after God's own heart. That's actually what defined him as a man after God's own heart. David did a lot of wrong things, but he repented. See, repentance is whenever I change my thinking 
from what I think is right to what God's think what to what God thinks is right. You start reading the Old Testament, you read them laws, immediately you start questioning whether or not you know right and wrong. This is why you must teach your children right and wrong. They don't know. You see? So we teach our they know what's right in their own eyes. That's why when they're little bitty, two and three years old, and their brother takes the toy from them, they get mad. He took my toy! Who said that was wrong? They thought it was wrong in their own heart. He took my toy. Why? It's actually not really righteousness. It's actually self-seeking. Psalm 139. Yeah. So good. <clears throat> 33. Verse 33. 23. 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So... What David was praying here is saying, I don't know it all, God. I don't know if I'm doing everything right. If I'm doing something wrong, tell me. It's powerful. That's what made David righteous. Because he pursued the righteousness of God, not his own righteousness. Can you look up another verse for me too, Cameron? It's a, he, uh, uh, there is a way that seems right to a man. Let me write this passage up here. Psalm chapter 139, Proverbs 14. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. It's very safe, man, in your prayer life to say, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. It's very safe to say that. It's very safe to say, I don't know what to do. God, teach me. If I'm wrong in this thought process, then correct my thinking. You know? God always honors those who repent. <clears throat> Proverbs 3. Let's like, write this one up here too, okay? Proverbs 3, I think it's 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. Mm. Oh, this is so good. Guys, this is perfect for what we need. Look at this, Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your heart. This is everything we're talking about right now. Steadfast love. Whether or not you feel like God's doing you right or not, steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Let Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, for you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Watch this. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is good stuff. All right, you get this? So we're talking about going to God for, for your life, man. Going to God for your wisdom and your understanding. That's where life comes from, okay? It's powerful stuff. Looking at our experience um, and determining God's love for us is not a good idea. We have to remember his word, period, and be unconditional in our love towards him and steadfast in our love towards him. All right, so in Matthew chapter 6, Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Actually, let's go up here to, uh, yeah, this is fine. No one can serve two masters. For either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, so money, uh, another word for it in the scriptures is manna. I mean, a mammon. Mammon. Okay, I might be spelling that wrong. Yeah, I am. Mammon. It's the god of, of, of wealth. 
I'd even say riches. It's basically anything you're craving. It's the God of craving, okay? It's the God that, you know, check this out. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So again, anxiety. The Israelites were anxious about their food and their provision. Do not be anxious about your life, whether you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the, sea, of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. All right, so, the people, so what he's saying is if you're anxious, something's off with your faith. Okay? Now, he's not writing you out yet. He's just teaching you what's wrong with your faith. Does that make sense? He's not, he's not kicking you out. He's not talking to these people saying, I'm going to kick you out now. You see? He's telling these people there's something wrong with your faith. You need to perfect your faith. You need to refocus your mind. Be like the heart of David. David's faith was not perfect. But he was a man after God's own heart. He searched God out. He wanted God to search him and fix what was wrong in his heart. See, that's what makes a man wise. What makes a man wise is not whether or not he knows everything. What makes a man wise is whether he seeks God. When we seek God, that is wisdom because God has all wisdom. You see what I mean? A wise man seeks correction. That's what makes him wise. A wise man is not a know-it-all. A wise man actually knows that he doesn't know it all. A wise man says, I don't know everything. Lord, teach me. That's wise. So if you're anxious, the scripture says that there's something wrong with your faith. Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but seek God's righteousness, the way he wants to do things. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, there's enough trouble for today. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Think about today. What do you need to do today so that tomorrow is okay? Don't worry about tomorrow so much. Father, what do I need to do today? I've got this time right now. You've given me this little day. Instead of years to come, today I have this one little day today. Father, what do I need to do to be faithful with today? And the Lord may say, well, I want you to do this. And the reason why is because God can see. He knows what's down the road. Yeah. So you need to just do what I tell you today. You be faithful with what I gave you right now. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about where you're going. Now, God might give you glimpses of that. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes God does give us glimpses of that. But for the most part, he just wants you to deal with today. Yeah. Okay? Why? Because you can't get to, to tomorrow without today. And if I'm always focused on tomorrow, I'm never going to take care of today. i got to take care of today so that tomorrow will be good. So that tomorrow will be set up for success. If I'm not faithful today. So anxiety really has to do with, oh, what's going to happen in the future? Stop worrying about the future. You know? God, now, don't get me wrong. You have a future. We're just not supposed to be worried about it. All right. So where are we at now? Uh, that's good. That's good. So that was Proverbs 16.25. So these two verses are um, almost word for word the same. It's good stuff. Um, 
All right, so we're going to go over here. I'm actually going backwards in my notes. We're going to go here to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. All right, so mammon, once again, we can't be serving God and money or serving God and the, and the, and the God of our belly. Okay, we'll despise one, you know, we'll love one and hate the other or, we'll, or be devoted to one and despise the other, okay? So uh, if we are worried about our cravings, then we'll wind up despising God, you see? If we worry about God only, then we'll despise our own cravings. We'll see that our own cravings are a problem. Do you see that, okay, remember back in Numbers chapter 11, it was their craving that killed them. The thing that they went after, the God of their belly, killed them. Do you see? God handed them over to the God of their belly, which killed them. Anytime we're seeking after anything else besides the Lord, that thing is always a snake in our hand, just like Moses when he was holding the staff. And he dropped, God said, drop the, 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 the staff. And when he dropped the staff, it turned into a snake. I believe it really did turn into a snake, but I believe that God was actually showing Moses something. He was showing what the staff was in his hand apart from God. That it was a serpent that was going to bite him any day now. That whenever he put his hand into his cloak next to his heart, he pulled it out, it was leprous. He was saying the things that you touch are death in your own power. But when you put them back in and I bury it, when we bury that old life and resurrect it again, this is what I can do with it. You see? So God is always wanting to bury what we think is good and, and resurrect what he thinks is good in our lives. So we're never destined to be um, our own man. We're destined to be leaning into the Lord. We've God created us that way. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like having a light bulb that's not hooked up to the socket. You know, it never lives up to its potential. It just always stays dead. But the moment I hook it up to the socket, it's become what it was created to be. You see, you were created to be linked up to God. This is why God was always working so hard to dwell with his people. Because he knew we could never become what he created us to be without us being connected to him. It's good stuff. I'm the vine, you are the branches. This is good. We are always created to be connected to God. This is why we always feel empty when we're not. And anytime we are trying to serve God but we reject him in our grumblings and complainings, we still don't feel right. Mm -hmm. The ones that are the happiest are the ones that are th being thankful even through the trial. Those guys are happy. And we're like, how can he be happy? He's going through a trial. Because he knows God. Mm -hmm. God is the, the strength of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I can overcome any trial because I love him and I'm devoted to him even unto death. Yeah. You see? It's powerful stuff. It's about, at that point, it's not about the cravings of my life. I'm not in love with the cravings of my life. I'm in love with the Father. And if I was being tortured to death and I had the Father, that's all that matters. Because I had the best thing in the world. The most, the biggest comfort, the Lord. That's it. It's the only one that matters. That's why these people die for their faith. And they don't back down. Not because they're afraid of God, but because they love God. You see? They're getting their heads chopped off over there in the Middle East because they love God. There is a fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom, but that's not the completion of it. The completion of our wisdom is a love of the Father. When we realize how much He loves us. I have nothing to fear from God anymore. It's devotion, man. Alright, where are we at? Matthew chapter... Uh, 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey. Matthew 25, verse 14. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Now listen, this is powerful. God gives us talents according to our ability. Okay? What we can handle. He gives us... Now, don't get me wrong. God always takes us to a place of impossibility. That's where faith is required. 
Don't get me wrong. People say this all the time. God will not give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. Every time. If you're going to follow God, he will always give you more than you can handle. Look at Moses. Moses said, there's 600,000 men on foot. It's too much for me to handle. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll give you um, some help. And so God was the one who was with him. God Moses said, I can't do this. I can't go with these people unless you go with me. So God goes with him. Why? Because it's not too big for God. Watch this. You know how much you can handle? It's according to your humility. Your humility level will determine how much you can handle. <laughs> Almost like well, the more you say, I can't handle it, the more he's going to give you. Why? Because he knows you're going to have to trust in him more. And God only needs a man who's willing. God will do all the work through the one man who's just willing. Who will go with me? Here I am, send me, Isaiah says. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. It's the man who is humble that God uses the most. It's good stuff. The man who's humble that God uses the most. To each according to his ability. It had nothing to do... Watch this, watch this. If you'll notice, humility, and not false humility, not like, well, I can't do this. No, 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 it's the people who say, God gave it to me, therefore I can do it. God wouldn't give me something he didn't believe in me that I could do. Check this out. God operates in faith. He has faith in you. When he gives you a little, he wants you to be faithful with that little so he can give you even more. And when we realize that we've been given a little, but I can do it through Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then God's always going to take us to a place of impossibility that is too big for us, that requires me to depend on him. So the ability doesn't necessarily have to do with whether I can do it or not. It's my ability to walk humble before the Lord and operate in faith. It's my ability to, to pull down from heaven what I need to pull down from heaven because I believe God's going to provide and I'm going to operate in humility. I know I can't do it, but God can do it through me. That's humility. Humility is not having your own opinion about yourself. Humility is knowing what God says about you. So if God gives me one talent, I know that I can do it, even though I probably couldn't do it if he didn't tell me I could do it. Because even that one talent would be too much for me. You see? Thank you for tuning in to the Bold as a Lion Ministries podcast. If you like that teaching and you want more, go to our website at boldasalignministries.com. At the top of that page, you'll see a button that says Teaching and Discipleship. Click on that. We've got free MP3s. We've got free PDFs. Download as much of it as you want. Also, if you like what we're doing here and you want to see more, you want to hear more, consider becoming a monthly sponsor. Right now we're running a campaign called Project 500, okay? And this is geared towards three different aspects of our ministry. The first one is the ministry planting and also the online media and outreach system. Uh, like what you're listening to right now, all of the funding that goes into that will go into uh, helping us with uh, media and also uh, helping us with planting new ministries. Okay, the next one is for uh, the Barracks Discipleship and Recovery House. We have a drug recovery house, so if um, that's a that's a thing that's in your heart, uh, consider donating to that. Our third thing is our international missions organization called Ixthus International. It's a Greek word. It means fish because the Lord called us to go out and be fishers of men. So we're focused on those three things right now, and right now we're trying to raise 500 sponsors at $20 or more a month. If you can't give that much, maybe you can just consider making a one-time donation 
every little bit helps. Go to the website, find what it is that you're passionate about that can help us help you help the world. Thank you so much and God bless.